Welcome to the NRSNG show by NRSNG.com. My name is John Haas, RNCCRN, student nurse mentor and your biggest fan. In each episode, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you uncover success as a nurse and in life. We're all in this together. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let the show begin, my fellow nurses. All nurses What's up, guys? What's up? This is John with NRSNG.com. Today, I'm incredibly excited to talk to you about one of my most favorite topics, and that's going to be hemodynamic parameters. I love hemodynamics. I love how it all plays in together. I love how manipulating one variable can manipulate a whole chain of events when we're talking hemodynamic parameters and, and cardiac physiology. Maybe that's the ICU nurse in me. I want you guys to understand these things, okay? Because as you start to understand this whole chain of events and how it all plays together, you're going to understand many diseases better. You're going to understand the heart better. You're going to understand how it all works together so much better. I created a free uh, chart to help you understand all this and how it all works together. If you go over to nrsng.com, our website, nrsng.com slash hemodynamics, H-E-M-O-D-Y-N-A-M-I-C-S, nrsng.com slash hemodynamics. Put your email in there and I will email you a PDF of this cheat sheet, okay? This is going to help you. What it does is it gives you kind of a concept map, I guess you could say, uh, a mind map of how all these different hemodynamic parameters play in together. And then it also gives you all the normal values for that, okay? So, Love this topic. I'm excited to dive in. So let's get right to it. Okay, so the things that I really want to cover today, I want to cover heart rate, cardiac output, uh, blood pressure, stroke volume, preload, contractility, afterload, uh, and maybe a couple other things here today. But those are kind of what I want to talk about. So at the center of our web, we really need to talk about cardiac output. Cardiac output kind of is dependent upon two things okay so what is cardiac output cardiac output is the volume of blood put out by the heart in a minute so how much blood goes out of the heart in one minute the way we're gonna find that value is gonna be our heart rate times our stroke volume okay our normal cardiac output is four to eight liters per minute so every minute we generally would expect someone to put out four to eight liters of blood from their heart as you can see, like a much larger person is going to need a higher cardiac output than a very small, frail, old little grandma. And so what was developed was cardiac index. Okay. And what cardiac index does is it takes the person's body surface area and kind of incorporates it into cardiac output so that we can determine based on the size of the individual, are they getting enough cardiac output? And that's determined by cardiac output divided by body surface area. And the normal value for that is 2.5 to 4 liters per minute per meter squared, okay? And so at the center of our web is this cardiac output. And cardiac output, like I said, is really how much blood is going out of the heart every minute. And we need a certain amount going out, right? To perfuse our tissues, to perfuse our brain. And so we really want it to be between that normal value, okay? And then we have heart rate, of course. Normal heart rate is 60 to 100 beats per minute, okay? And then like I said, cardiac output is dependent upon heart rate and stroke volume. So what is stroke volume? Okay, stroke volume makes sense just by the word of it. Stroke volume is the volume of blood that leaves the heart with every beat. Okay, where every stroke of the heart, every stroke of the heart, how much blood is going out. Okay, and the normal value for that is 60 to 120 milliliters per beat. Okay, so every beat, boom, 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 boom. 60 to 120 mils of blood are coming out of the heart. Okay. Now, 
so you can see that's that's really a very important component of our entire chain here is our stroke volume okay because if our stroke volume goes down our cardiac output will go down or our heart rate has to go up right so if our if our volume goes down right because cardiac output is heart rate times stroke volume so if our volume goes down we're either gonna have less cardiac output or our heart rate's gonna have to start going up. So that's why when we start seeing our patients become tachycardic, we start thinking, okay, is their volume down? What's going on? Um, and we can, we can look at, uh, you know, we'll look at fever. What's going on with this patient? Why are they, why is their heart rate going up? Okay, and then we, so we can, we can run a few different tests. We can insert a couple more uh, invasive measures to measure stroke volume, okay? So what does stroke volume depend on? Well, stroke volume depends on preload, contractility and afterload okay and in our last uh, A&P uh, lecture we talked about difference between preload and afterload so I'm confident that you understand that very well now so preload is going to play into stroke volume right so the volume coming in is going to make a big difference in our volume going out right and that's our preload right Contractility is going to play a big difference. What is contractility? Contractility is the squeeze. So if you think of a sponge full of water, contractility is squeezing that. Okay. So how capable our heart is of squeezing, okay, is going to play a big difference in how much volume is going out. Okay. So first of all, volume coming in plays a role in it contractility or squeeze plays a role in what volume is going out and then lastly our afterload plays a huge role in what's going to come out and so a way to think of afterload is systemic vascular resistance have you ever heard svr okay what is systemic vascular resistance what it basically is is it refers to the resistance to blood flow by all of the systemic vasculature and that's excluding the pulmonary vasculature. So our legs, our aorta, our, uh, our hands, everything, everything, our liver, everything um, plays a role into systemic vascular resistance. It's the resistance to that flow. So if it's, if it's having a hard time flowing through, right, our systemic vascular resistance is going to go up. If it's, if it's not, if it's, there's no resistance to flow, then our systemic vascular resistance is going to be down. You would see that in like a patient with sepsis or something like that, where we're going to have a massive amount of vasodilation, okay? So in our septic patient, uh, you'll see blood pressure just plummet, right? They're having massive amounts of systemic inflammation, and that's, in, that's including vasculature. is inflaming, blood's not going where it should go, and our SVR is going to drop, and so we need to tighten those vessels up, right? So stroke volume is preload, contractility, afterload. Okay, so all three of those play into our stroke volume. What does our stroke volume do? Well, our stroke volume times our heart rate is our cardiac output. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so what are some of these numbers that we're going to be looking at? So our systemic vascular resistance, a normal parameter for that is going to be uh, 800 to 1400 dynes per second okay per centimeter negative five okay so whatever that really means i guess but it's 800 to 1400 so that's the number i want you to know 800 to 1400 is our systemic vascular resistance again we would see it plummet with like a sepsis uh, and then we would see it go up and things like uh, atherosclerosis hypertension things like that are going to squeeze that okay 
Okay, so let's talk preload. How do we get preload and what is preload? Okay, so we, we've already talked about preload. That's kind of our volume coming in. One way we can get an indirect measure of preload is through CVP. What is CVP? That's central venous pressure. And what it is is the pressure of blood in thoracic vena cava near the right atria. And so what that really gives us is it gives us kind of our, our volume uh, if you will, blood of, of what's returning to the heart. And we use CVP to kind of get that measure. The normal CVP is two to six millimeters of mercury. And that's what with, with like a central line, that's how you're normally gonna measure it. Now, as you can see already, there's a problem with using just CVP to measure preload and that we're not taking into account our left heart. Okay, CVP is really just talking about our right heart. And so we're getting what's coming in but if we have issues with our heart or with our pulmonary vasculature and everything like that, we're not getting that blood um, into the left heart, okay? The issue here, it's much easier to get our end diastolic volumes or our preload in the right side of the heart with a central line. So we just put a central line in and we can measure central venous pressure, okay? And that gives us a, a kind of an estimation of right ventricular preload. But what we really want, what a better number for clinicians is the preload on the left side of the heart, okay? Now that's much more difficult to get. In order to get preload on the left side of the heart, we actually have to insert a catheter all the way into the right side of the heart, through the right atria, into the right ventricle, and then up into the pulmonary artery, okay? And what will happen here, and the way we get this number is we get it intermittently. What, what happens is it's, it's called a wedge pressure, right? pulmonary artery occlusion pressure. So we actually have to fill up on the tip of that catheter, there's a little balloon and you actually fill that with air, occlude blood flow through the pulmonary artery and that will give you your pulmonary artery occlusion pressure. Okay, so a normal value for that is eight to 12 millimeters of mercury. Okay, and so you can see the preload can get a little bit complicated to measure. Um, but that's kind of the number we're going to want to look at. So we got preload on our right side, CVP. That's a lot of times what the, the number that's going to be used because it's so easy to measure just with the central line. Or you can do wedge pressures, which is much more complicated to measure. Okay, now is this all making sense? Okay, so we've talked cardiac output, volume of blood leaving the heart per minute, stroke volume, volume of blood leaving the heart per beat. And that is dependent upon three things, preload, contractility, and afterload. Okay, so... Let's talk really quickly about how we can manipulate some of these numbers, okay? So let's talk a patient who has a low preload, okay? So we're talking about a low volume of blood coming in. What kinds of things could we give to try to increase our preload? Okay, so low volume, so like a hypovolemic patient, uh, how could we try to increase preload? Okay, so a couple things we could do would be fluids based on the condition, or we could also give blood, okay? So those are kind of two things that can be given to try to increase preload. Okay, so let's talk about a patient whose preload we want to decrease. Okay, so they maybe have too much volume. So what can we do to try to get rid of volume? Well, one thing we could do would be diuretics, okay? We could give diuretics if it's a, if it's a uh, fluid overload type of situation. We can try to get rid of some of that. And depending upon the condition the patient has, it would depend on what type of diuretic we would use, right? Spironolactone, Bumex, um, furosemide. So those are t different types of diuretics that can be used for different types of situations in a patient who might be fluid overload. All right, some other things we could do would be venous vasodilators, 
ACE inhibitors or ARBs. Okay, so that's why it's important to really understand these medications. And now that you understand kind of what preload is, how it plays into the whole uh, hemodynamic system and parameters and everything, it makes sense the types of things we're going to give. All right, so let's talk afterload really quick. So in a patient, remember we're trying to, in a patient who, like for example, who is uh, uh, septic, where their afterload is going to be very low, right? It's blood, blood is flowing too easily, I guess is a way that you can kind of say that. We want to tighten that up. So the types of medications we could give would be vasopressors, okay? Norepinephrine, epinephrine, neosinephrine, okay? Those are types of medications we're going to want to give to patients to try to increase their their uh, afterload or their SVR, right? So we're going to want to tighten up those vessels, okay? Let's say we want to decrease our afterload, okay? We want blood to get out a little bit more easy. We could give arterial vasodilators, right? We want to loosen up the aorta a tad bit, boom, get some blood out of there. Um, we can give ACE inhibitors, ARBs, or we can also do an intraaortic balloon pump. Now that's a much more complex subject that you're probably not going to see unless you work in a cardiovascular ICU, but an intraaortic balloon pump actually is a little kind of balloon that gets wedged up through the groin all the way up into the aorta, and it's a little pump that works with the heart rate to kind of pull blood out, okay? Now we can talk contractility really quickly. So what are some things we could give if we wanted to increase cardiac uh, contractility? Remember, we talked about contractility as the squeeze. So what's the main drug we're gonna talk about and you're gonna be test on about contractility, okay? Cardiac glycosides, right, like digoxin. That's what we're gonna try to give to increase that squeeze, okay? To force that sponge to squeeze, we wanna give like a digoxin, a cardiac glycoside. If we wanna decrease our contractility, some of the medications we would give would be like beta blockers, uh, those or calcium channel blockers, those are going to uh, decrease the contractility in the heart, okay? So those are kind of the big parameters that I want you guys to remember. We're talking cardiac output, heart rate times stroke volume, four to eight liters per minute, stroke volume, volume of blood per beat, 60 to 120 mils per beat, preload. With that, we're looking at uh, CVP or pulmonary artery occlusion pressure and you know different numbers for that. For, for CVP, we're looking for two to six millimeters of mercury per minute. For pulmonary artery occlusion pressure, for our left side, we're talking 8 to 12 millimeters of mercury. Okay, for afterload, we're talking SVR, systemic vascular resistance. The number for that is 800 to 1400. Okay, so those are kind of really the numbers I want you guys to keep in mind. I want you guys to remember. There's a lot of other things in here. Uh, and so basically, I would really like you to head over to nrsng.com and go to hemodynamics, nrsng.com slash hemodynamics. And what that's gonna do is that's gonna give you uh, this cheat sheet that has all of these values, it has this chart. I understand this can be a little bit complex and we really just grazed the top, the surface of all this, okay? There's so much involved in this, uh, but this is gonna give you a basic understanding and having this chart is gonna give you some of the treatments and some of the things that we can do to treat some of these issues, whether it's up or down, okay? So thank you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of the NRSNG community. Head over there, get this cheat sheet. If you guys have time, I would love it. I would really appreciate if you leave a review and share this podcast with your nursing buddies, with your nursing professors, uh, with anybody that might be interested, and uh, to subscribe so you find out when new episodes come up. But thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of this community. 
You guys know what time it is now. It's time to go out and be your best self today. Happy nursing.